This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 61, Fleet Composition. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. This is a different experience. For yeah, <laughs> it's not great. I don't love it. Uh, it is eight fifty-two on a breezy Sunday morning, and Matt's got his yerba mate tea, and he's just trying to will up the energy to talk about spaceships. Yeah, I think uh, the spaceships are the dumbest part. I'm gonna go ahead and say that. <laughs> I'm going to throw that out there. The uh, spaceships. I would, love you, I would love you to elaborate. I just think the spaceships are dumb. And <laughs> I think also the fact that there's so many different types is silly. I okay. think uh, that I would have like two ships. like, And you'd rather them be horses. Well, they'd be horses or cars. It'd be like <laughs> you got your Ford and you got your Chevy and then your Dodge. And, uh-huh. and the Fords, they, they hit at a seven. But they sustain damage. Aha, changing things up. And Chevy's a four by four. Right. <clears throat> and something about a Hemi. Actually, that's how this... Okay, so we've got a game. It's called Space... Space, space Truck. truck. <laughs> space Truck. And the, the way Space Truck works... I know there's a game called Galaxy Trucker, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about our new game called Space Truck, mm-hmm. where... All of the factions are American and only American uh, yeah. car companies, so they suck, and they uh, they just fly through space. And uh, right now, I'm bored with it. But here, let me okay. So let me, yeah, let me yeah. redo the let me redo the intro then. Hey everyone, welcome to Space Trucks uh, Peace Alternators. Uh, you, no, you, you no, go it's, ahead and no, fix. no. Now, if you pop that thing open, let it's, me tell you. If you all you gotta do is pop that thing open, and oh yeah, it's your alternator now. Okay, so you're <laughs> just gonna have to rip that thing right out. All right. It's called Space Trucks Peace Nuts. <laughs> That's what it's called. It's called Space Trucks Peace Nuts, or just uh, yeah, you know it's what? Your fuse box. Let me tell you, those things are just that. You know, if. If you get one of them Mitsubishi's, yeah, the fuse boxes just never stick. It's the spark you. plugs, man. Your spark plugs are all messed mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. Did I have I talked about how my car broke down on the show already? No. Did no. I talk about that? I yeah. I don't have a car anymore. I don't have a car. I don't have That's a car because because it ran out of oil and that makes the well. So I took it in. It broke. That makes the car no go. <laughs> well. What happened was I took it to the place and I was like, what is broken with this car? And they were like, it's the engine part. And I'm like, but that's the part that makes it go in the first place. And then they were like, yeah, we can replace that engine for $4,000. And I was like, that's an, I'm a, I could just get a car, you know, yep. for 4000 No, I mean, not a good car, but a car. You should have you should have given it the go juice. Why'd you stop giving it the go juice? No, because uh, it just broke and it's old. And God, we we talk. we were so smooth last week. Yeah, I listened yeah. to the episode and I was like, "Dang, this is like mm-hmm. we're like on autopilot, just like killing it." <laughs> last week, I thought was great. 
Well, let's just let's just do this, Hunter. Let's talk about the let's talk about the ships that do go. Let's today yeah, is a Galactic okay. <laughs> Council episode. Let's the, today's a Galactic Council episode, and it was a weird it was a weird runoff for the Galactic Council. Um, there has been a coalition that has been formed um, to further the uh, desire of a homebrew episode or a house rules episode. That's cool. I thought, I thought for sure that was going to happen because they've been a very vocal, um, you know, coalition on on the Discord. But when we put the thing up, boy, fleet composition blew everything out of the water. Um, so to all you house rule homebrew people, not this month, right? Um, I I don't honestly that was been get, that was been getting put off for like four months. I'll, I, I'll go ahead and throw that out there. And I don't feel prepared to talk about it honestly. I I feel like there hasn't been. You know, we're still so early in the TI4 homebrew. There's not a lot out there to talk about, but I guess we could kind of collect all the stuff that is out there. Yeah, give it it a go. I think it's I think it's less about specific, like reviewing specific house rules and homebrew stuff. I think it's more a discussion of what homebrew could be. But that's not even what that's not what the episode is. So let's shut up already. Right. Yeah. And let's talk about spaceships in space. Um. Can I say the one break. I wanted to win before we yeah. actually get yeah, into yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I there wanted three, to do. There were three options. Yeah, I wanted to do the action card one because we still haven't yeah. done that, and I just right. like to do that. Hunter just wants to. And sit that was down like what that that one did even. And read yeah. action cards and analyze them. Yeah, that's some content right there, that's and like some, people would appreciate it too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm forming my own coalition in the Galactic Council to get action cards next. I don't want to do now, homebrew Hunter, yet. That would require you to show up in the Discord. All right, well, I won't do it then, but <laughs> but I will talk about doing it. Fair enough. Uh, but let's talk about what what are, what are we going to do with this fleet composition conversation? Because here's the thing about Hunter and I is we are not mathematicians. Right. And I feel like to do a really good fleet composition episode, it would be discussing odds and statistics and viability of certain ships. But we're not, that's not really our... No, that's uh, not our department. Forte. Yeah. And and honestly, I welcome that as a rata or it's almost not even a rata at this point. It's like, hey, give us some numbers so we can talk about it in next week's errata. But I mean, all we did is we, we did talk. We, we pulled up the Alpha Mouse um, battle calculator, which if you don't know what that is, if you go to alpha uh, M-O-U dot S-E slash T-I-4 C-A-L-C calc. Uh, that's the that's the battle calculator. I'll post the link in the the Reddit description and stuff like that. But when Hunter and I are playing a game, that's what we have pulled up. Um, right. And any anytime you've got like a really dicey battle that you want to, you know, it's like, oh, it's I, I it's just these two big fleets, and I have no idea who would have the upper hand here. You, it's really easy to just plug in a bunch of ships against each other and see what your odds are. Right. Um, and, and it helps me inform a lot of my decision. If, if uh, we've talked about it before too, Hunter's a, if it's not 80% chance or higher, that's a, that's not something Hunter wants to do. And for me, it's more like 60% and I'm willing to go for it. Right. Right. Cause you're crazy, but we're still, we're not even going to talk about odds and dice rolls and stuff like that today. We're going to go more into just like, what is each ship's role within a fleet? So uh, I think it's really important to say there is no like perfect fleet composition. And we'll talk a little bit. We'll, we'll break that down a little bit more later. But it's not it's not like every faction has like an ideal fleet. No. Um, uh, it's more about what you can afford and getting what is best. Right. With the money that you have available to you. So 
most factions' fleet composition is determined purely by, I had five resources and four production capacity. I, I need to spend that optimally. Um, so What's the best way to spend that, you think, in your well, opinion? <laughs> <laughs> so let's say, what did I just say? you five said resources. five resources, four capacity. Well, again, it depends on who it is. But do you have, do you have Sarween? Let's say you don't. No. You don't I, have Sarween. I, mean, I would get... A uh, carrier, two fighter, oh, four capacity. Hmm. Mm, this is a fun yeah, game. Carrier, yeah. cruise, carrier, cruiser, two ground forces. All right. I'm with it. Carrier, anyway, cruiser. That's, yeah. that's not what this whole episode is going to be. It's just like, okay, now t- uh, 10 resources, six capacity. Right, right, right. <laughs> that would that would have been a way to do this, though. And I think that would have been, you guys know that that is like kind of my flavor of episode. <laughs> it's for us to do just like actual theory no uh-huh. crafting, just literal just, like just, sim- <laughs> simulation. That's what uh-huh. I want to do. I yeah. want to roll dice today. No, we're but. gonna we're gonna go into each unit and talk about its role in a fleet, and so based on your needs, figuring out where each of those ships lies in your sort of priority. Right. Uh, and and there's there's gonna be some faction considerations as well. So let's dive into some ships. Let's the, the first thing we want to do is like go over. Really, like the purpose of each ship within a fleet, like why why is it even there? Why would you build right, it? What's right. what's the point of even having each specific ship? Um, and to to framework all of that, the the whole point of a fleet in in the end is to score points. Like the right. whole game, the whole board game of Twilight Imperium is about scoring points. So your fleets have to follow that same logic of just like the only reason you have that fleet is to score points with it. It is not to make the fleet that hits the hardest so that you win the most space battles, it's the fleet that can score the most points. Yeah, but what if I just want to have a cool fleet and that's all? Like, I just want to have a cool fleet. You can do that, Hunter, but you're going to lose the board game. No, I'll win because I'm playing my own game and it's called Hunter's Got a Cool (laughs) Fleet. Hunter's Got a Brand New Fleet. Hunter's Got Two... Oh, are you doing that song again? What song? No, I'm not. I won't go there. We're what gonna, song? We're Whoa, wait, we're what, what song? No. What Hunter's song? Got a brand new fleet. I wasn't doing that song before. Remember, I, I was doing a. Uh, no, I was doing. Oh, uh, I'm not talking about last week. I I have to move on because I can't get in. Now you're the one who sings too much. Hunter. I don't. I don't sing at all. Bad. Hunter, what's the bread and butter of a fleet? What's the core? What is the? What is the whole reason fleets exist? What ship matters more than all of the other ships? The car. Uh, That's correct. The car. The, the carrier. The carrier. Which we're going to call the car now. And that's mm-hmm. that'll be a new thing. That's final. The car. My so car. has got their car. Yeah. Some some factions have a huge van, but we've <laughs> just got our Toyota Prius. Right. And it's here. And, you know, it's not doing very much by itself. It's very small. Yeah. And it doesn't hit very hard. Um, if, a bigger, if a big truck came by and hit it, your Prius is gone. But it's not about what the car is itself. It's about what's under the hood, you know, what it's got, <laughs> what it's ca- what it's got in it, what it's carrying, you know. What's it carrying? Well, it's, it's carrying. carrying your babies. It's carrying your little children. Yeah. And your little children are going to go invade a planet and kill all of the people that live on that planet. Oh, God. Your children are violent. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Violent children. Uh, no, the carrier exists to take planets and to... Uh, carry fighters right. to protect fleets right right they're kind of either they're either helping you take the planets filling out that uh necessity um which is it's always kind of a bummer for the fleet that they have to do that right because the like ground forces obviously are not helping you in your fleet composition 
Right. So there's always a decision to make with your cars as to how many boys are you going to put in that car versus how many right. fighters are you going to put in that car. Right. You how know, many girls are you going to put in that car? Right. <laughs> Do we just... <laughs> And the thing is, the car, most of the cars are sedans, so they're just four door. And <laughs> some of them, you know, some of them get bigger, but, and you can make them bigger, but they're, they, yeah, some, you start some with. Some factions got a big car. Most factions start with just a little old sedan, and yes. you got to stuff them all in there. There's so, no, thankfully, there's no coops, but. <laughs> well, there's, there's one faction that's got big, beefy coops, but we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, so. Your car is either uh, driving down the highway solo because it's the beginning of the game and you just need two cars and four boys. Right. And you're taking planets. Or mid to late game, the entire purpose of a fleet is to protect your car. Right. Uh, Well, and and so your car has your fighters and that's your, those are the hits. It's also protection. Um, So, Hunter, when and why do you build a car? Uh, Because you just need the capacity. That's really all it's doing. It's just. Yeah. It's just about that capacity. Right. Um, And so my general rule of thumb, if people are wanting, we're not going to do build orders this episode, but I will say if I don't have two carriers, I am going to build another carrier as soon as possible. Yeah. If if one of my carriers got killed mid game and now I'm down to one, I need to make sure I have at least a second one. Three is always great, but sometimes three, you get left with these decisions of like, oh, I have this extra carrier and I actually don't know what I'm doing with it, or I'm just going to put it, I've got two carriers flying together, um, but like the need is for two carriers at all right, times. Right, right. I mean, generally speaking, if you don't have a car, then you're not going to be able to take advantage of like openings, like if somebody's left like a planet like out there with like one dude on it, and then like right. you've got a car loaded up with three boys and you send that car over, That that's, you know, That'll that's something that'll happen. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna insist on cars. Happen. Yeah, that's something that'll happen. <laughs> um, I'm doing a good let's, job. Let's talk about what cars besides boys. <laughs> they're always carrying fighters, right? Right. So let's talk about fighters. What are fighters' roles? Uh, the first and most important thing is obviously fighters don't take up fleet supply. So in terms of like fleet composition, your fighters are wholly dependent on how many cars you have. Right. So and and. and there's plenty of times I know I'm in uh, in plenty of situations where I need to go take a planet and that planet is soul or something and it's got three ground forces on it. Like my car is going to com- be completely full of ground forces. So right. I actually can't consider bringing fighters. Right. But when do you decide, OK, I'm only going to bring one or two ground forces and I want to fill the rest out with fighters? What what are we doing with these fighters and why would we need them over more ground forces. Well, I think that choice between fighters and between boys and girls is God. between <laughs> infantry and fighters is it is this what's the purpose of this fleet? Is it are we taking planets to for a control objective or do I need to bust up somebody else's fleet? Like is it about right. winning the space battle or is it about right. winning the the land battle, the the ground right. invasion, the invasion combat? Yeah. Right. Um, and, and you have to kind of what sucks about that and what's so difficult, I think, about that decision is that you don't you sometimes have to make the call way before you're going to actually use yeah. these units. And so sometimes you'll end up out like you've you've built your fleet or whatever. You've moved it out and you realize you don't have enough, you know, infantry. You don't have enough ground forces. Right. So 
you don't have enough fighters sometimes to beat, you know, to win in the, because a lot of times what's weird is like people will build out fleets that, you know, have like a certain amount of dreadnoughts or whatever. But a lot of times the fighters, because of how many hits they can soak, they, if, if, if you're going up against a fleet where you're not going to outgun them, but you can take more hits, obviously that like a lot of times that will make a huge difference. Right. Yeah. You can, you can win a battle with all units that hit on eights and nines, but because you had 10 of them versus the opponent's four. Right. That's it. I mean, that's, you're going to win that fight. Um, so yeah, that gets at them. The absolute main purpose of a fighter is literally to die. The fighters are there to be the cheapest thing that can take a hit. Yeah. Um, so that you don't have to put a hit on your cruisers and destroyers and everything else. It's just there to be armor. Um, but for some factions, um, or just in some situations, it's also there to, um, to to kind of be a swarm, right? I mean, right. you might you might just build a ton of fighters, and and that's even more what we're we're saying here is like I am going to overwhelm you with units as right. opposed to hit you harder. I'm just gonna bring too much stuff for you to be able to deal with, mm-hmm. um, and that also kind of gets into the like the Nalu gum situation of like sometimes you just leave fighters in all these different places because people can't pass through them unless they have light wave deflectors like you right. just you just pepper cheap fighters all over if you have fighter two you, you throw them all over the place and you've kind of reinforced your boundaries it's honestly it's honestly a good thing to do even if even if you're not nalu because that's such a cheap way to just make sure that that you're that people have to actually activate your systems in right. order to like get through your slice Um, I know I made a mistake the last game that I played the Gideon Brotherhood game of not leaving a ship in between me and my neighbor and it allowed my neighbor to get to my home system. Yeah. Ditto. And and even more so like always, I try to always leave at least one fighter above every space dock because that that at least that at least, I mean, it's not, it's not like one fighter is going to make a huge difference, but at least they can't just bring a lone carrier to take your planet. At the right. very least, they have to bring enough to kill that fighter. Mm-hmm. Um, so one or two fighters above every... I mean, the, so a, a space dock can hold up to three fighters. So it's nice to have three fighters hovering above every space dock at the right. very least. Right. Because that's that's going to save you some hits and, and you might be able to protect yourself. Um, Hunter, when do you build fighters? When do you build fighters? I I think you just build fighters as you go, basically. Yeah. I mean, they should yeah. just be like kind of filling out, like as you're having to build uh, like fleets for any reason, ships right. for any reason, you should like, you know, I, you know, my rule of thumb, actually, I just always, and, and this actually might be a bad instinct in some cases, but um, I always consider Sarween to be either for fighters or for infantry. Right. I don't know if other people that do that, before. but. That's yeah, how I think. We've said that before too, specifically with ground forces of like you should always just build two because ground forces and planet control is so important. Mm-hmm. But I think there is some value in sometimes allocating that for fighters. And right. and yeah, I agree too of you have to be building them constantly because most almost every faction does not have a high enough production capacity, the amount of ships you can build in one activation. Right. So it's not like you can build all the fighters when you need them later. You would be wasting an entire build action to build six fighters. Yeah, and like which they, is like not efficient at all, right? And and they have enough utility. Like you, you kind of it's never you never don't need fighters. They're never useless, right? Right. So like you might as well always throw you know 
some in there. Like, right. I, yeah, I always just try and build like a dreadnought or a cruiser or something. And then that last resource, just filling out the rest of the production capacity. Right. Right. And that's the, that's the other main time is when you have when you're low on resources, but you have plenty of production capacity. If you're like a double docked Sardak Nor, you got mm. pretty high production capacity, but maybe you have like four resources. OK, well, a carrier and like four or six fighters is great. That's going to do you a lot of good. Um, right. So I think that's pretty a pretty common thing. It's just like I don't I have more production capacity than I have resources. Looks like this round. I'm building fighters. Yeah. And then yep. you don't have to build as many next round. You can, you can, if you get more money later, you can build the bigger stuff later. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, let's talk about the hardest unit to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Destroyers are um, not, not great. They no. have their purpose, but they're, they are not good units. I mean, they're not, they, they hit on a nine. They have anti-fighter brush. So obviously one purpose of a destroyer is just like, well, my opponent has fighters. And I, I need to be able to, I would like to be able to kill some of those before the combat starts. Yeah, now, but are you even going to? Like, Right, are you even going to? Because you're hitting on a nine. Yeah. You're hitting two, two dice on a nine. That's not great odds. Now, if you upgrade the destroyers, destroyers become a lot better. But like the only reason I would upgrade my destroyers is because my opponent has fighters. So, so the fighter argument doesn't really work for basic destroyers yeah might as well you might as well build more fighters and out and match their fighter count yeah i agree as opposed to fill out some destroyers you're a destroyer feels like a waste of fleet supply at that point yeah i'd rather have a carrier and four fighters than you know four destroyers yeah i I totally agree with that well also like fleet capacity that's the problem is that it t- yeah. they take up a fleet. It's su- taking fleet up a whole fleet supply and you, you just can't afford it. So what are the other purposes of a destroyer? Destroyers for me have a few weird, every single one of them is p- so specific to depending on what's going on in your game. Yeah. Um. So there's the fighter deterrent. There's also an argument for if your neighbor is like extra or someone with graviton laser systems, the tech that lets uh, your PDS kill non-fighter ships before fighters destroyers are your are your new soak right destroyers are a graviton soak if i'm if i or uh going up against the what is it the barony flagship or is it the lizix one that kills units uh with with um non-fighter ships oh uh lizix the lizix yeah if you're up against the lizix fleet destroyers are good for that as well right of just like okay well you're gonna ignore my fighters so i need some other cheap unit to be able to kill off yeah even still though like it's not still it's still it's not, soak that you have to use fleet supply in order to right. do. Yeah. So I would I rather know. have sustained damage every day of the week. But yeah. if you're low on resources, okay, then I guess that's an argument for destroyers. The last one, and really the more common one, is destroyers move two. Um, and if you have gravity drive, you can get them to some weird places. Now, they're not taking any ground forces, but for those odd space control objectives that mm-hmm. you just need to... I just need one more ship adjacent to mechatol rex and there's an empty asteroid field there let me send my destroyer because that's so non-committal i can just let it park there and people might just leave it alone yeah um and the same goes for what we talked about with fighter 2 park destroyers just like on the edges of your perimeter to just be a buffer between you and your opponent i hate honestly i hate when i start with one because i'm just like what am i going to do with this right and then i find some silly thing to do with it like that like it just it just serves to block an area or yeah. i use it to trade with somebody 
Um, I did want to ask, this is actually, I'm asking a question in media res in the middle of the show. <laughs> and I, I want this in here because uh, I don't actually know this. When Mentech can use destroyers to ambush, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when they do that, do they also do anti-fighter barrage? So is it mm-hmm. ambush, anti-fighter barrage? Yep. Wow. It's pretty good, but it's all on nines. Yeah, I like, would rather have two cruisers rolling on sixes for my ambush. It, yeah, it's weird because <laughs> it's weird because it's so much better with the cruisers. But had they taken the cruisers out of ambush, that it would have been like, oh, Mentac is the destroyer faction. You got to yeah. do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny too because Mentac are not that far off. I mean, you start with a red, you're really not that far off from getting destroyer two. One red skip, and you could just have destroyer two. Maybe but that's, something to, that's something yeah, to explore. That's something to explore. I think it's worth trying. Um, but. Uh, the the only other thing too, the destroyers. This this is sort of like the ghost consideration, or there's a couple other factions that would do this, but like destroyers can help you go establish trade routes. Yeah, a destroyer is super non-threatening. I can tell my you know hunters across the board, but there's like a wormhole that connects us. I can just be like, hey hunter, do you mind if I just send this destroyer through the wormhole to park next to you so that you and I can trade? Right. Obviously, it's not going to do anything to you because it's just a destroyer. Yeah. That honestly, that is like the most valuable use of a destroyer. Ooh, I agree with is that. Like, I can get some trade goods out of parking this destroyer way out of the way. Right. And it's and if they decide to kill it later, it's like not even a big deal. How many right. times have you been in a game where you're like the person's like, I need to move into that space now, and you're like, okay, well, I can't afford to move the destroyer, but just kill it. It's fine. I don't care. Go ahead. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And it, and it doesn't muddy the waters between you two. Like it doesn't ruin your relationship at all for them to kill a destroyer. There have been plenty of times that that's happened, and it's it would always come down to like I don't want to waste the command counter to move yeah. that destroyer. Right. Like. Right. I have no desire to do that. Just yeah. kill it. And if, if if you had done that with like a cruiser, it would be such a more difficult. Yeah, I would hate that. I would make. be yeah. I would be so sad to lose that so, cruiser. That's that's the role of destroyers is almost to not exist in fleets. I mean, there's there's a couple fleet arguments, but generally my destroyers just run around doing weird other, you know, jobs. <laughs> yeah, I honestly talking about destroyers right now kind of makes me feel like playing a game where I specifically go after destroyer go two. It. Because there yeah. has there hasn't been a lot of like every time I see Destroyer two like someone using it I always forget like what it's two on a six like three on a six three on a six yeah see I just yeah. forgot it right there isn't that crazy I just forgot yeah. it I think my issue is and maybe it's just our meta of people we've been playing with I never see people do big enough fighter swarms for me to justify doing that's true the- I just never see anyone go for it it would have been a lot better in TI three when fighter swarms were more just kind of. Right, uh, like obvious Get, and like, upgrading destroyers in which it wasn't an upgrade but uh, getting those upgrades was much more difficult in ti3 ti3 also hylar 5 assault laser which is a number uh, like a level one tech uh upgraded your destroyers hits mm-hmm. so like mo- almost every destroyer in ti3 hit on an eight right so destroyers were a little bit better by and large right um, and to get that to get the upgraded anti-fighter barrage you just never went for it because it was kind of out of the way Mm-hmm. Very, very few factions needed that. Uh, and now yeah, it's like behind with it. You know, now it's behind Majin, like, right. It's which is a, a firewall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a Majin wall in between you and it. Um, so let's, let's talk, talk about cruisers. About, yeah. Cruisers are the, there's a lot to talk about. Actually, are they wait, your before, favorite? Before, are, before, do, are hang cruisers on, your favorite? No, cruisers. no, 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 no. Tell me, tell me now. Tell me now. Uh, depends on the faction, but generally, yes. Yeah. I think they I are. mean, like, cruisers. Having ambush is the reason I love Mentac. Yeah. That is like the the number one thing. It's freaking so, cool. So to that end, I love cruisers. But real quickly, 
when do you build destroyers? Because we've been asking that question with each of these. Oh. Um, and it's pretty obvious, but I want to get one specific thing. So, obviously, if your neighbor is a fighter faction, you should get your destroyers being built early, and you should upgrade those destroyers. Well, but that's, except for that important. we sort of already said that it's it, not, gonna it's not really, really that worth it. it. You, right. you might as well but, just throw more fighters in there. Right. But let's talk about the, I have one resource left. I have one production capacity Okay, I'm, w- I'm with that. I will build a destroyer then. That's that honestly that is like the only time I build destroyers. It's just like, well, I've got the extra resources and and it should be clear that's not I have an extra trade good to spend and an extra production capacity. If no. I had a choice of spending the trade good or not on a destroyer, I would keep the trade good cuz that could be worth points later. Right. And um, this is this is also assuming you have the fleet supply to throw a destroyer in, which you maybe right. haven't planned on that. So. Right, right. So if you have enough fleet supply, if you have a high enough production capacity, and you have one resource left, okay, build a destroyer. <laughs> uh, or if you ran out of cruisers and you're just trying to get more ships on the table, yeah. okay, start building destroyers. But I, I generally do not consider destroyers very heavily. Uh, yeah. Just kind of, they're an afterthought. So cruisers, my favorite ship. Um, <laughs> what are we doing with cruisers? Cruisers are interesting because you can do so much crazy stuff with them. Obviously, when you upgrade them, they have a movement of three. They have basically the most movement of any ship in the game, except for Muat War Sons, which right. is tied. Um, so cruisers can get all over the place. So your goal with a cruiser is to be sneaky and do cheeky little things with them. Um, right. Th- this is why I love cruiser uh, factions that want cruiser two is because those are the factions that do some of the most interesting maneuvers of like, oh, I snuck two cruisers and two ground forces to this planet you were not expecting me to get to and i get to take that planet and now you have to figure out if you're going to turn around and take it back or not right right um and they're not that expensive i mean two resources per cruiser that's i think that's like the best value proposition for a ship or or not the best but like the most common that you can right. afford right? right the best value proposition is a dreadnought dreadnoughts are amazing value for four resources but you don't always have the four resources right so Cruisers, you can almost always afford a cruiser. They're also, I mean, also dreadnoughts are s- slower generally. So it just depends. Right. It, it depends on what you want. But yeah, cruisers open up some options that I feel like if you're going a different way tech-wise, you never get to until like light wave deflector, basically. Yeah. It gives right. you like light wave deflector level like, whoa, Maneuver hey, right. how did he do that? Like yeah. kind of stuff. Right, because a single, cru- a single cruiser too with gravity drive for movement. I mean, that thing That's is so going any, anywhere you want, basically. Right, right. Um, so what's the other purpose, though? There's the sneaky stuff, but, like, not every faction is a sneaky faction, and, and not everyone is in a position to do weird, sneaky maneuvers. Um, so beyond sneaky stuff, I really think of cruisers as, like, the foot soldiers. They're kind of just, like, you, you should have some cruisers in, like, every fleet. That That's just sort of, like, they're going to get hits fairly often. You know, they roll on a seven, so they're... they're uh, what is that, a 40% chance to hit? Right. And you can upgrade them to be a 50% chance to hit. And they're just like, they're there to fill out the army. Uh, right. You have, your, you have your carrier. You've got a couple fighters. You've got two more fleet supply. Why not two cruisers? It's a cheap way to, to have a good amount of hits on your side. Yeah, it's interesting talking about regular plain old cruisers, like without yeah. upgrading them, because I actually feel like there's kind of a weird thing that happens where most factions now, because of how the tech is spread out, are either going for Dreadnought 2, in which case they might not even want to throw any cruisers into the mix because right. it's like, why am I going to, you know, I'm going to upgrade these Dreadnoughts. Like, I would rather just build more of them. And then yeah. in that case, you might just throw an extra one in, just like kind of a destroyer case where it's just like just off the top. Yeah. You had two left over. You, you spent it on a cruiser. But 
The other direction is that I feel like most factions that don't go Dreadnought 2 could then potentially, and they don't always do it, but could potentially go Cruiser 2. So yeah. I feel like Cruisers could be, they're kind of an in-between unit that I could see anyone building, but I could also see people just bypassing them completely. Right. It just depends. Like I feel like fighter, like like Nalu, like fighter factions could potentially yeah. throw some cruisers in there and be like, okay, cool, I've got these cruisers as well. But I don't know. It just right. They're kind of odd to me. I feel like I love I love cars, fighters, and dreadnoughts, and yeah. everything else. Yeah. I just feel kind of weird about in general. Right. You know what's that's funny. I, I think this is a good argument in favor of what you're talking about. Is like Lizix. L1Z1X starts with a green and a red, and yet I don't think I've ever gotten Cruiser 2 as the L1Z1X. Yeah, I mean, why? And you get yellow. Like, most of the time, you're going to get Sarween tools as well. Like, you usually, right. a lot of times, you go for just uh, Dreadnought 2, so you're getting blue, blue, yellow. So you have everything you need to get Cruiser 2. Yeah. But if I've ever gotten Cruiser 2 as L1, it was to get another upgrade, and then I didn't, I didn't, I still wasn't building Cruisers. Well, because if you've gone that way, then you have Dreadnoughts that carry 2, Right. That c- with gravity drive could do a sneaky cruiser maneuver. So it's kind of right. makes it redundant at that point. Right. Right. And you're not, you're probably not affording, you're, you're really spending all your money on dreadnoughts if you can help it. Honestly, I feel like uh, I, I would be like, I, I, I like, I, I'm actually coming or I, I did not necessarily care for this topic too much when we started going into it. I'm kind of coming around on it. But I yeah. feel like there might be a whole discussion in cruisers versus dreadnoughts. Yeah. Um, and what factions it because it's because to me sometimes it feels like the only reason besides Mentac if you take Mentac out of the out of the mix yeah, it yeah. feels like the only reason a faction goes for cruisers is because they are not in a good enough tech position to go for Dreadnought two I agree yeah yeah, yeah you 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 get cruisers or and probably cruiser two solely because you can't afford to get the blue stuff yeah you don't have you time get the blue stuff right um the, the I build cruisers. Um, when I do not need more capacity, generally speaking. Yeah. Um, and, and this even, I technically include this for Cruiser 2 because Cruiser 2, I don't think of Cruiser 2 as having capacity. I think of a Cruiser 2 should carry one ground force. I don't think I have ever put a fighter on a cruiser. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's there's no need to fly a cruiser and one fighter anywhere. So that mm-hmm. capacity is solely dedicated to ground forces in my mind. And so... I just like don't even think of it as as that sort of consideration. So so for me it's like I have the carriers I need. Now it's time to get cruisers. Right. If I can't if I can't afford dreadnoughts or whatever. Um and, and that's kind of like the only time. Now I say that's the only time, but like that happens a lot. You know, you, you get your you hopefully get your capacity needs finished pretty quickly. And then for you know, round two and three, it's like, all right, let's build a bunch of cruisers. Let's just right. like get that out of the way. Let's be done with that. And then in the late game, when I hopefully have more money. I can start building my dreadnoughts. Yeah. I, I sort of think that's, I think that's generally my arc is like, I don't really build that many dreadnoughts until round four. Hmm. Just because I probably don't afford it. And and I'm not, I'm like, it's such a slow move. I probably haven't really established a forward space dock yet. So do right. I really want to build dreadnoughts back at home when I'm not feeling that threatened at home yet? Right. Even though right. I'm constantly threatened at home because it's me. I don't know. I, that's just sort of how I think about it. Is I, tr- I try to get like five cruisers on the board before round four, and then it's like, okay, now it's time to build dreadnoughts. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like we very much differ in that way. I yeah. think I go ahead and just start building the dreadnought fleet early because, yeah. and my thought will be like, oh, if I build this dreadnought at home, 
yeah, I mean, it's probably, it's slow, but it's a defensive unit and it's at home. It's going to be yeah. useful for that mid-game I mean, when people start making weird plays. To to argue in favor of you, that is certainly my downfall, is mm-hmm. oftentimes I, I lose because my home wasn't defended well enough or like my, my slice wasn't filled out enough with right. stuff, right. with defensive units. So, you know, I, I'm just a scrappier player, so I want those cruisers to be able to get everywhere yeah. I need them to get. Yeah, let's I, let's dig into these dreadnoughts though. Let's talk about Hunter's favorite unit. Uh, I don't know. That's not my favorite unit. Well, cruisers were supposed to be mine. What's your favorite unit? Uh, PDS. <laughs> That's get out of my butt. <laughs> <laughs> I like PDS. No, what, though. what are PDS we doing? Is great. Uh, dreadnoughts. Yeah, D boys. Uh, D boys. What are we doing with D boys? Um, dreadnoughts are weird. I think um, because they have two opposing but incredibly important uses. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's like they're, your dreadnought is what makes your fleet feel like it earned the title fleet. Yeah. You know, a cruiser, a, like two cruisers and a carrier doesn't feel like a fleet. It feels like a little squadron. Right. But like as soon as a dreadnought is involved, it's like, ah, my fleets. Right. They're, they're at the ready. Right. Um, so Hunter, you just talked about defensive. Tell, tell me more about like your defensive dreadnoughts what's the what's going on there oh so sometimes uh like if if i don't have if i'm not a dreadnought two faction or like a blue tech faction even um i think i like to think of dreadnoughts like this um let's say i have a forward space dock and i just feel threatened sometimes you just throw a dreadnought down as a defensive precaution it's it, right. it's not necessarily with the intention of like oh this dreadnought is gonna you know push out or whatever i think of like when i play extra I mm-hmm. feel like I end up building, like even before I build the flagship, I will just throw a dreadnought down on that forward space dock right next to Mechatol. You know that one. You right. know the one. <laughs> you know uh, the one. And I, I always feel like, or like when I play Arborek, I like, I always like the idea of taking a planet, um, throwing those, throwing those infantry down there, and building some defensive dreadnoughts, um, yeah. just to, just because they, I don't know, they're just all in one. You know, they right. hit. They've got a little bit of capacity and they take hits. Like, yeah, they, it's they're all in accepting. One. It's accepting that like it's it doesn't move fast. So you're right. not really accomplishing objectives with it, except for it's like I just accomplished the objective. I have it now and I just need to keep it for right around. Right. So boom, dreadnought. Right. Um. So obviously the other use is you get dreadnought two, and suddenly you've got these mobile little things because what's it's so funny to think about like oh dreadnought twos have a movement of two but like more often than not you think of dreadnought twos as having a movement of three because you had to get gravity drive right to get dreadnought two that's a basically a requirement mm-hmm. um you you rarely skip gravity drive to get dreadnought two yeah uh, so yeah you generally have dreadnoughts with a movement of three you know one dreadnought with a movement of three so you're trying to do weird stuff with it so like you build it at home and then it's suddenly at the front lines. Yeah. And it's bringing a lot of power and it's, you know, catching up to the carrier that's been moving out every round, you know, taking systems after systems and, and getting towards the edge of your perimeter. Now the dreadnought jumps into the fray and now it's suddenly a fleet. It was it was just your your expanding force and now it is a fleet. Right. And it becomes your main offensive unit, you know, to and, and so I, I to a certain extent, I agree with like kind of building them all game so that that while they're slow, they're filtering out to the edges. But if you're a Dreadnought 2 race, there is a pretty good argument of waiting to build all of them and then building them and sending them out. 
Got in. Um, how to many factions would we classify as Dreadnought Two factions at this right. point? Exactly. It's so many. Like yeah. it's, it's it's quite a lot. I think blue yellow was our our. We had the most factions in our tech skips episode or whatever our tech paths episode that were blue yellow factions. Right. Right. I don't remember the number, but it's yeah. It is it is quite a lot. Um. So. You know the the dreadnought is your main fighting force. The the sustained damage can become ridiculously good with dreadnought too because it can't be direct hit. So that just completely mm-hmm. blows the economy of hits in the game out of the water. I mean, D- dreadnought two breaks the the game basically because it makes every unit every other unit with sustained damage it makes those units worse. That's how good mm-hmm. dreadnought two is. Um, so. You have to think of it as your main offensive unit. With every build, in my mind, you're trying to build a Dreadnought. Right. Early game, sometimes you can't afford it. Uh, middle game, sometimes you don't have the capacity or, or, or whatever. But like with every build action, my goal is to get at least one Dreadnought down. Yeah. Always. If it's, if it's five resources and it's mid to late game, four of those resources are a Dreadnought and then two are a ground force or something. Like two ground forces to just then also reinforce the planet. That's like the perfect... That's like the perfect defensive maneuver, Hunter, you were just talking about. If you have Sarween tools and four resources, Dreadnought, two ground forces, boom. Yep. That planet is defended. It's fine now. Right, right. Um, and, and alternatively for fleet, fleets, it's like Dreadnought and two fighters, That that's going to go do some That's work. a good start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also sort of the opposite of the fighter argument. Um, if you're rich, if you're just like, if you're Barony Yeletnev, that's why Barony gets such big fleets right i mean obviously non-euclidean shielding is good but like barony typically has more money than they have production capacity yeah yeah which is the exact situation in which you would build dreadnoughts i have two production capacity and i can build you know i have lots and lots of money looks like i'm building two dreadnoughts right because you all i mean one of the things that i like about uh this is a really fundamental thing that i like about twilight imperium is that your your resource management uh like that your planets you there's no reason not to spend them every round you need to spend them every round basically there's no there's absolutely no reason not to they do not roll over they all refresh and come back so and i love that so so that means you do need to build um yeah and so, yeah, I think a lot of times that relationship between that's why it's hard. Like, I don't know if some people out of this episode, they wanted us to like propose, like you should build exactly two dreadnoughts and like three fighters right. and a carrier. It doesn't like, work that way. Right. Because your relationship between the resources that you have available to you and the production capacity that you have is way more important in deciding your fleet composition. And you right. can't, determine that beforehand you have no way of knowing what that's going to be at any given round right because sometimes you start with barrack lord of four adjacent to your home system which means Uh round two you've got lots of money you have right that's that's the perfect situation of like oh it looks like i'm building a bunch of dreadnoughts around two because i got barrack lord of four next to me but sometimes your round one got you two more resources well i guess it's a cruiser round two right um so you yeah it's you can't talk about fleet composition and think you're going to get any sort of build order really ever. I mean, right. because it, it is so circumstantial to what is going on on the board and, and what's going on with your game. And, and then what like your neighbors are doing what you, what do you need to fight against? Right. And then like your tech uh, on top of that, like on yeah. top of all of those other things, there is uh, there's the tech that you have available to you and the tech path that is most optimal for you. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, are we going to talk about war sons now? 
<laughs> Very briefly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, War Sons. Here's, here's our two considerations for War Sons. You either get them early or you don't get them. That's yeah. it. That's, I mean, you're either Muat or someone who has a red and yellow in their pie slice, a red and yellow skip, and you're able to just jump straight to War Sons very fast. Or don't, you should, you should take War Sons out of your mind. Forget that they exist because right. you won't, even if you got the tech and then could afford a War Sun, the likelihood that it will make a substantial difference on your board in time in a 10 point game is very very slim you will probably get one action out of your war sun right most games and so it's like okay maybe sometimes that's a game winning action but generally speaking you could do those 12 resources could be spent on other stuff 12 resources is three dreadnoughts if you've got the fleet supply i would rather have three dreadnoughts every day of the week yeah well and also i put it into the battle calculator and two dreadnoughts will be a single war sun if there's no fighters involved so right. there's that, you math there's heads. That. Yeah. So um, I, I, I wanted to say something though. Here's a time that you might build War Sons. Uh, if you're in the Space Cats Peace Turtles tournament and you tournament? have taken the dangerous Diplo slice, you might no, build War Sons. The slice of the Gashly. Oh yeah, sorry, slice that's of the Gashly. Yeah. yeah, I'm a dingus. Slice okay. slice of the Gashly. Yeah. That that's I I mean that's why that slice is designed that way. I right. really hope we see some War Sun play. I think we um, will. People have been saying that Muad is performing what Muad is a viable faction on that tournament map. What? How ironic. Isn't that, that beautiful? <laughs> that we made that happen. <laughs> um, so I, I don't want to talk about Warsons anymore because it's just, I mean, they're bunker busters. Sure, we can talk about their purposes. Like, it's three bombardment on a three. You almost, you, you are basically guaranteed to have plasma scoring. So really, it's four dice on a three. So, like, you're going to kill some stuff, and you don't have to worry about PDS. So, right. if you if you have decent enough access to War Sons and your neighbor is extra, all right, maybe sure. maybe you should aim for War Sons. But the problem with War Sons is you have to think about aiming for War Sons from the beginning of the game. If you have any, if you're actually going to be able to get it, it has to be round one, I'm trying to get War Sons. Yeah, I mean, I think the planetary shield thing, getting past planetary, what is it called? It just says disable. Yeah, so just. Yeah, yeah, it disables planetary shield. Yeah, so, so the, the fact, that's the only thing that I'm jealous of War Sons about. And that's the only thing that balance-wise I get annoyed with, the fact that War Sons are so rarely used because I feel like, to go back to my favorite unit, it has made PDS overvalued. Because now you yeah. can pretty reliably just plop some PDS down and be like, there's bombardment is not happening here right basically at all yeah agreed yeah Yeah. it's it's and it's because of dreadnought too all of it comes back to you can't afford to get war suns because none of the direct hits are getting used on people's dreadnoughts so everyone has everyone has a direct hit in their hand that's how i think about if i have a war sun on the board all i think about is like everyone has a direct hit right yeah yeah so i can't i can't attack anybody with this war sun because they'll probably i can't sustain damage on it the same sustain damage is useless for me Right. So it just becomes this this it constantly feels terrifying to use a war sun where it should be the opposite. It should be I have war that's what it was in TI three. Boom, Hunter got war suns on the table. Uh enemy number one. Everyone freak out. Hunter has war suns. We're all doomed. Like it's it's here it comes. And in TI three or TI four, it's like I have war suns. Cool. We can all deal with that. We're all right. prepared to deal with that. Or it's just too late. The, t- the timing isn't or it's scary. Too late. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I remember I used to, in TI3, I, my goal was always to play. I always wanted to play Hakan, and I always wanted to eventually get War Sons. Yep. And it was just 
so great. I, I don't know. Like, what happened there? That's gone. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about every single flagship now? Yeah, let's do an episode <laughs> where we talk about every flagship. I don't know. Hunter, do you want to try this fun thing where we, like... Yeah, I've got like my dice. I'm getting them. them up against each other. No. Uh, we did an episode about flagships. It is episode 29, flagship tier list. And if you want to hear our thoughts on every specific flagship, go listen to episode 29. We cannot break down every flagship here, but we did want to give one consideration for flagships, which is... Hunter. No! While Hunter's doing that, I'm going to talk about uh, two on a five. Uh, there are flagships <laughs> in this game that... So every flagship is either two on a five, two on a seven, or two on a nine. That's the dice that they roll. Similar to how a war sun is three on a three you roll three dice if you hit a three or higher you, you get a hit the flagships that are two on a five those are flagships that i consider just like ships that i would build because yeah. they're good ships they're two dreadnought if you're lower on fleet supply but you need two dreadnoughts boom flagship put yep. it down yeah the ones that are two on a nine you need to really consider what the ability of that ship is before you just willy-nilly build it you do not need every faction does not need their flagship and even more to that end someone killing your flagship is worth a point so that flagship needs to be able to defend itself if it's going to be on the board at all mm -hmm. which is why the two on a five is the only one where it's just like eh, it's two on a five i'm gonna build that right two on a seven is is obviously in the middle there and right you, you know it better have a good it. it better have a good effect basically right better have a good effect and it better be defended and the ones that are two on a nine it like has to be with a good fleet. It, or, it absolutely or, has to be. Or, or the huge van. Or the huge or it's just the huge van. <laughs> That's the only difference. The huge van is the Van Hog, it's the Yin uh, flagship. And if you have that, well then whatever. You're you're playing a completely different game. You're playing your own game. That's playing your own game. That's just for you. It's just gun on the table. Um so for anything else flagship specific, you're gonna have to just listen to that episode because it'll it'll we'll we talk about that a lot of whether or not we think flagships are worth building or not um so uh let's let's move on hunter we've talked about every ship we're not gonna talk about pds we're not gonna talk about ground forces because they are not a part of fleets unless you're necro but even then <laughs> i don't want to get into that really right um let's talk about different factions though that have some extra considerations to to be to be thought of um first one and we've talked about this a bunch is the mentac coalition right, right. mentac right. think about fleets completely differently and there's two reasons for that one uh, you have ambush, so you want you want a bunch of cruisers, right? You just want you want to have all cruisers. That would be great. But also because ambush only lets you use two of those cruisers per pre-fire shots, it is sort of a waste to have more than two cruisers in a single fleet. Right. It is actually better to just like one carrier, one dreadnought two cruisers and then your other fleet is one carrier two cruisers one destroyer or whatever like you want to have all of your cruisers split up amongst all of your fleets so that you aren't wasting those pre-fire shots now if it's like well no i just have to go completely crash into this barony fleet and i need to bring my flagship and i need to bring all of my cruisers because i just need to kill the fleet okay that's fine that's a completely different thing but generally speaking every mentac fleet should have two cruisers in it yeah. Because those pre-fires are what are winning you the fights in almost every situation. Right. They're just uh, so cool. It's just a, such a cool ability. It's such a cool ability. And it, honestly, it's like I, do, I don't know how often I build dreadnoughts. This is one of those things what we were talking about where I don't 
you don't have time to get Dreadnought 2 with Mentac, and because your cruisers are so good, it's almost just like, why waste the money? Yeah. On a dreadnought, I agree. It's going to be too slow. You're do you're moving too fast because you're getting you're almost definitely getting cruiser two, and you're going all over the place. So you might as well not even build the dreadnoughts unless there's like one defensive one at home. You know that kind of thing. I but mean, beyond that, do it using the battle calculator. Two mentok mentak uh, regular cruisers unupgraded are more effective than a single dreadnought. So yeah. and they're. They cost the same amount of resources. It's just that right. the Mentac are, and and I don't mean a lot better, but a a, a little bit better, significantly better, better. Better odds, right? Yeah. Um. So who else? Uh, L1Z1X has. So we talked about. It's weird that we never really think about cruisers with L1Z1X, right? Because their their dreadnoughts are so good. But I think we need to break down a little bit more why the L1Z1X dreadnoughts are so good. And it capacity it goes too. Beyond That's it. It's That's capacity it. too. Yeah. Yeah. So so what does that do? I mean that that makes it to where in a lot of instances, especially early game, you you do not need as many carriers. Like we, right. we said before, you should always have two carriers. Well, in the early game, one of your dreadnoughts serves as a carrier. You right. Don't, and you don't need to build the the second carrier if you don't want to. You can get away with it. I'm not saying it's a, an amazing idea to just not build the other carrier, but you can easily get away with it if you want to save yourself three resources and build I mean, something else. Honestly, I think of L1 and Barony of both being the factions that build, like, that will have fleets where the composition is just dreadnoughts and only right. dreadnoughts. And I think with L1, it's that, you know, if you have, you know, fleet supply of three, which is kind of low, especially like for the late game, uh, yeah. that's still three dreadnoughts is six capacity that's that could be three right. dreadnoughts with six fighters which right. that's actually a lot of soak like that's that's right. a pretty decent fleet you know right. well it's and it's the six dreadnoughts are also sustained damage i mean that is that is a ton of hits that's that a ton take. of hits ton of hits right that's nine hits before you lose a and if dreadnought. and if they're upgraded which likely you went for that then they don't take direct hit so right yeah that's so much soak um that's a that's an insanely defensive fleet and to the same end barony you're getting it because you can get non-Euclidean shielding, and it eliminates... So L1Z1X eliminates your need for carriers. Barony eliminates your need for fighters. Yeah. I mean, and speaking. pretty much carriers, too. By because, extension, carry. You do right. not need carriers to break... So the only reason you're bringing carriers is because you need more ground forces to invade the planet. Which is always like, the Achilles heel of Barony. If you're ever right. scared of Barony, just notice they never have enough ground forces. That is the way right. that they are balanced in that way. Right. Because generally speaking, Barony doesn't have war suns, and mm -hmm. if their flagship isn't coming, then PDS do matter. Right. Now, if their flagship comes in, okay, that's a whole other problem, yeah. and that's why their yeah. flagship is so good. Um, but if they don't have that flagship that, that eliminates planetary shield, you, they have to bring enough ground forces, which means they had to bring a carrier that they really didn't want to have to build and bring. Right. Because they would have much rather done it with all dreadnoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, so a single PDS and like two ground forces on every planet or, you know, on, on a bunch of your planets, you can defend against the Barony, generally speaking. But yeah. Barony's, that's still what Barony's trying to build is these huge fleets that, that take, they, they just soak so many hits with non-Euclidean shielding and yeah. Duranium armor. If you get that combo, it cannot be overstated how good that combo is. Some people try to say it's like not worth it for the amount of time it takes to get there. But I don't know, man. Every time I have a neighbor that's a barony and they have that combo, they are untouchable mm -hmm. from that point forward. Every fleet is like you run the battle calculator and it's like they never lose. They just never lose a single battle. Right. So as long as you are a barony player that knows how to use that and takes the right stuff, then you're going to do just fine. 
Um, let's talk about Hunter. I, I know this is going to be a little bit triggering for you, but um, do you want to talk about Muwat for a moment? Hmm. Um. I mean, what a, we've already come on. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> So uh, the difference, the yeah, the difference here is we didn't want to build war suns at all. We we said from the get go, you either get them early or you don't get them. Mm-hmm. And even then, it's really scary to use them. So with Muat starting with a war sun, we we said this in the Muat episode. But all your eggs are in a basket, and you can't afford to lose that basket. You can't lose your war sun. Right. So instead of having this big scary ship as Muat, you have this big liability that you have to deal with, and your fleets need to support that. So when we're talking about fleet composition. Lots and lots of fighters. Lots of fighters. And if they have Graviton, destroyers. Get a lots of destroyers out there. That's like when destroyers can become useful. It's like, I, I cannot lose my War Sun, and I have to soak some Graviton hits. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's all... It becomes... Muat War Sun is like a super carrier, where it's like, I have to protect that War Sun at all costs. Right. A normal fleet is there to protect a carrier. A Muat fleet is all about protecting the War Sun. And your everything you build should be in service of defending that war sun. Yeah, that's about it. That's about it. That's <laughs> about all on. I got. Let's move on from the scary territory of Muat. Yeah, uh, Sardak. Sardak's an interesting one. What's go? We've talked about this before, but what's what's Sardak's deal? So their advantage scales uh, in that the cheaper, like not as good units, like destroyers, fighters, especially fighters. Actually, I think. Honestly, fighters might be the best way to go for Sardak. Yeah. Um, yep. Because of the plus one across the board, uh, that plus one is not made equal. Um, it makes very little difference uh, if a, you have a war sun that's plus one. But fighters plus one is great, is really good. And they start with that. It's, it's a statistical advantage. You increase your odds way more by having five fighters with their bonuses you know, with your Sardak bonus than one Warson with your Sardak bonus. Right, right. So it shapes your fleet composition and it shapes your game to, I want more carriers because I'm not Nalu. I can't have fighters that just go all over the place quite as easily. Mm-hmm. You, fighter 2 is still a good idea, Sardak. Don't get me wrong. But a fighter costing a fleet supply is always like a tricky problem to deal with. I, I hate having to do that. When I have fighter 2 I, and I'm not Nalu, I still think of all of my fighters requiring... Um, a carrier. Like I just right. don't. I do not want to waste a fleet supply on a fighter. But, um, you know, a good Sardak fleet is two carriers, two ground forces, and all the rest. You know, six fighters. Mm-hmm. That that is a sizable enough force. You do not need more dreadnoughts. You don't need anything else. That's only two fleet supply. You know, you could throw in a destroyer if you ended up with destroyer two of Sardak, or you could throw in a cruiser. But you do not need that. I mean, honestly, like. With Sardak, I would rather build all carriers and fighters and ground forces, and that's it all game, and I would be a pretty happy Sardak. Yeah, I agree with that. Because again, if if you're doing the if you're doing the blue green tech path, you have upgraded carriers that move to, you have upgraded fighters, and you have upgraded ground forces, and those are the only units you build, and they're the only ones upgraded. You're, that's like no wasted money, right? Right. Everything that you're using is as upgraded as it can possibly be, and it's doing as much as possible like it's you, you cannot get better than that uh, i want to play sardak now it, it know, just they're just they could just be you know if it not if it weren't for all the economic disadvantages they would just be like a beefy soul so like a, good yeah yeah <clears throat> um let's talk about nalu nalu is so interesting to me because hunter how many times have you seen someone build cruisers 
as Nalu. I don't know why you would really. I don't really yeah. get what the point would be. Just because their their fighters end up being just a as, cruiser. Yeah, they end up. They're, they're as a hard base. They end up being a basic cruiser, and your uh, Nalu is one of those factions that has a really specific tech path. They really want to gun down green, so you don't necessarily have time to get out of your way and get cruiser two. Right. Um, Not that you're far from it. You're you're close. You start with you're what? really close. Yeah. But you need fighter two, and you need neuroglave before you do that. So right. Your fighters end up just replacing cruisers completely. Yeah. And and so it's cheaper. You so with Nalu, you kind of need to focus on getting good production capacity. You you have to get ahead of that. Um, and that needs to be like your number one consideration with fleet compositions. Is like I need to be able to build enough fighters because the fighters are gonna do the most work. Yeah. God, Nalu fighters are so nuts. I wanna play Nalu too now. I want <laughs> I would like to play some of this game that we talk about. I'm actually realizing that I would like to it's do that. It's been a while soon. for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute for but, me. Well, you you know what? As of the airing of this episode, you are you're gonna be here in a week, boy. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll be I'll be there in less than a week from when this comes out. That's crazy. We have to, we have to figure out how you're getting. Oh hey out. yeah, I was gonna ask you. Um, can, <laughs> can you? Can, I'm coming can into Kansas, in Kansas City. <laughs> I need you to pick me up. <laughs> well, Hunter, uh, I feel like. <laughs> this conversation could have happened sooner than a week before you get here, but uh, well, you gotta I'll come s- get me, otherwise I'm right. not. Uh, otherwise, I'll, I'll just I'll live s- in Kansas City. I'll see if I can come get you. Uh, speaking of coming and getting you, uh, the Yin Brotherhood have this interesting Cruiser Two situation that I wanted to talk about. I don't, beyond this, I don't think Yin have any other special fleet composition. Things, sure, sure, but there is this interesting Cruiser Two argument of like a single Yin ground force can do some work. Yeah. Um, like like very few other uh, units can. And so if if you're targeting the right planet and you have Cruiser 2, you can send a single Cruiser 2 and go take a planet yeah, and reinforce it in like a major way. Um, so I, I wanted to throw, throw that out there. It's It can be a little bit of like a red herring because it's not like the cruisers by themselves are great for Yin. They're fine. They're, they're a typical cruiser, but like... I don't want to only have cruisers as a Yin army. I, I do need more than that. I need carriers. I need dreadnoughts. I need all the other stuff. But there's just this argument of like, well, if you do get cruiser two, you can every once in a while do a funny, weird little maneuver. Right. Um, and it, it it seemed worth pointing that out. But beyond that, I, I really wouldn't divert my entire Yin fleet strategy around cruiser two. That's yeah. just like a that's like it, it's a it's an extra ability that you have. It is not something you center your game around. Right. Um, anytime right. I tried to do that, anytime I tried to just like cruiser two and I'm going to build a ton of cruisers and we're going to send them everywhere. It never worked out because the problem is cruisers don't defend themselves well enough. Mm-hmm. So you cannot use cruisers as a primary invading force. You cannot go up against the fleet with four cruisers and four ground forces and expect to take the planet. You will probably lose all those cruisers because for every cruiser you lose, you're losing a ground force as well. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. So it's not it is not a it is not a main defending force and it just can't be. It is only eh, I have cruiser two and just so happens you left that planet lo- lightly defended. I'm going to send one or two cruiser twos over there and, and nab it real quick. It's just some not. funky mat stuff. That's what it it's is. Just some f- you're just <laughs> yeah, bringing exactly. up some of your funky mat stuff. Well, talk about tell me about the last important one, and that's Soul. I don't tell think I don't think this one is important because I actually think that Soul doesn't even need fleets. Is what we're starting we're, to. We're, I feel like yeah, we're getting a lot of stories from people over the last year of people just being like, "Yeah, I didn't even have, yeah. I didn't even have any ships." Right. Like, I just took planets and then reinforced them with 
orbital drop. Orbital so, drop. But, def- but definitely, if you're going to build ships with soul, the blue, green, and like they're just great carrier. They're great cars. They got good cars. Yeah. Um, they're built Ford Tough. And <laughs> be, and I say that because they have sustained damage when you upgrade right. them. Right, uh, I get it. Uh, and with their capacity, uh, some fighter swarms. With, I've actually never even done that with Saul, though. Like, I'm so yeah. distracted by Again, just loading. Need it. Yeah, yeah, by just moving dudes around uh, and like d- having a great early game, and then just kind of going from there into the mid and late game. That I still have never really done like a like a fighter right. heavy Saul. I've never right. done but it, that, but that, that is there. the argument. It is yeah. the argument of it's it's similar to our Sardak thing, right? Is a soul could s- exist with carriers, fighters, and ground forces, and nothing else, and yeah. your flagship, right? Because right. a flagship and one carrier, if it's a carrier two, that's twenty capacity. Yeah, for that's two ships, so two nuts. fleet supply, so two nuts. fleet supply is twenty capacity. So as long as you can get your production capacity to keep up and have lots of fighters, I mean that's that's when your fighter twos. It, it is just filling up the rest of that. Dude, spells. and like the cra- the craziest ships. part is they don't even need that. Like that's like, no, that is like a leftover advantage that I don't so even see people take advantage of because it's just so good already. Yeah, it's so win more. Um, But yeah, you, if you if you upgrade those carriers, eight capacity per carrier, three ground forces to deal with most invasions, and that means five fighters with every carrier, right? Mm-hmm. So five hits that you can soak you're overwhelming everybody you can you can throw a dreadnought in there sure i don't care it's not doing it's the fighters are doing all the work so it just it's insane to me that soul can get away with that um so let's break let's we we've brought this up numerous times and we've repeated ourselves saying this but all of this is dependent on the money you have available the production capacity you have available and the, the timing of what's going on on the map, like what, what you're surrounded by. Mm-hmm. So there is, there's no perfect fleet composition. There's no, ideally, you know, you, you have exactly this. It's, it's just a combination of what you can afford and where you can put it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's like, I, I would say that's the thesis. And, and that's, to, to a certain end, like to the warfare side of TI, that is what the whole game is. That's why this episode can't be about like, what is the perfect fleet? Because like, that's what the strategy of every individual game of Twilight Imperium is, is figuring out how best to use your resources to get enough fleet to defend you. Right. Um, and, and so there's no one answer because that's what every single game of TI is about. Right. <laughs> and it changes between every game. Um, but... To offer up just just one idea of what I what I don't know if Hunter considers this, but I have what I would consider sort of a baseline good fleet, and everything else is, would be an adjustment to this. It would be considering well, my my X is more power, my cruisers are more powerful, so I want to swap this out or whatever. Right. But if I if I start the game with three fleet supply, <clears throat> I would be thrilled to have one dreadnought, one cruiser, one carrier. Which means I have five capacity, so I want three ground forces and two fighters. To sure. me, that's like an ideal fleet. Yeah. Um, you you soak two hits, you soak three hits before you lose any important units with a sustained damage and two fighters. So you can afford to lose three hits. Your cruisers and dreads are hitting well, um, and you've got enough ground forces to take basically any planet in the early to mid game. Sure. Um, so if you're looking for a baseline, that that's what I would call it. Um, you know, any fleet that starts with that, 
I don't know if there are any with one dread, three cruiser or one cruiser, one carrier, three ground forces, two fighters, but that would be like an ideal starting fleet to me. Except well, I mean, no two, two C four I, yeah, whatever, right? But but when I, what I mean by starting fleet is I mean in I a in a game. single fleet, in a single yeah, fleet, in a yeah. single fleet, that would be great. Yeah. So whatever, there's there's that little nugget for you to to take and do with what you will. But that's the closest you're going to get from me to like a perfectly optimal fleet. I, yeah. I don't think that exists. An optimal fleet doesn't exist. An optimal purchase is what exists. Yes. That's the difference. Optimally buying your fleets is more important than optimally having your units distributed amongst your fleets in a certain way. That's yeah. that's just I don't know. Figure that out and you'll be fine. But the the it's the building that is actually more important. Right. Right. All right. Well, are we ready to? Oh, actually, I wanted to talk about one thing uh, before in the episode proper before we go to the errata. This doesn't have anything to do with what we've been talking about, but right. I've been noticing that. We were, we've been talking uh, about a lot of good, cool factions that are fun to play. Um, uh-huh. But I was looking at the what factions should Space Cats Peace Turtles play in the 2018 Holiday Spectacular poll, which is oh, in yeah, the, the, I, Steve, I about that the Steve Martin thing. Yeah. And it feels like people just want us to play the, the goofball, the, all the goofball races. I mean, the first time we did a stream, all we got were the worst factions. That's, That's how it true. Goes. That's true. Yeah, the current. The, let's let's throw this out there. Since this is a Galactic Council episode, for all you Steve Martin fan club members, there was a poll. I'll repost it in the Discord and I'll repost it on Patreon. But um, yeah, it's currently the leaders are Gosacreus and Necro, Necrovirus, and then Clanasar, Arborek, Lizix. And technically Sardaknor, although there's there's actually a tie. Like it, it it's actually seven factions are like have enough right. votes to be in the final game. Right. So we do need more votes for that. Um have we announced the holiday spectacular? No. It's gonna and, be? And let's I, do that. Let's I was start, thinking let's start we should do that. that up. Yeah. So we're gonna last year we did a holiday spectacular. We we did a stream um, with all of our friends who come in town. You know, it's it's for us it's Christmas time and everybody comes back to Arkansas and we're gonna play a game. We're right. gonna stream it. We're, this year, I think we're gonna stream two games back to back. The first game being a kind of your standard game, where we're just gonna like, eh, let's let's we want to play Ti. We haven't we haven't all right. played Ti together in like a year. Um, so we're gonna do that. But then after that, we're gonna do a more typical Space Cats Peace Turtle stream. And if you've never joined a Space Cats Peace Turtle stream, I highly encourage you to come to this holiday spectacular because. We get real stupid, and by that I mean there's lots of dumb bonus rules thrown in, right? And right, uh, it's it's just absolute madness, and it's super super fun. And we try to engage with everybody who's watching the whole time. And I would I would love to see this year's holiday spectacular get like some. It's it's December twenty third, so it's two days before Christmas. It's on a Sunday. Hopefully you have the day off, and it would be just super awesome if you came and joined us. And just for like that game. yeah, just like got down by the fire, you know, just like yeah. on on the heath <laughs> and watched watched us play Ti. The heath, um, I, the hearth, I, I, the hearth. Yeah, the hearth. Did I say the heath? <laughs> you said the heath. Oh, the geez. Heathcliff. Yeah. Um. What? Uh. Were we gonna do the role play stream? At, for a holiday time I, is that gonna happen I, we, I think we talked about that a long time ago but i don't know maybe that's what we'll, maybe that's what the first game will be is it'll be a standard game but also a, a little bit more role my play. my general thing was i wanted a goofy game and then a really like a serious game a goofy game yeah. and a serious game that's what yeah. that's what i want to promise the people so yeah we'll definitely have that and and you can expect the first game to be the serious one and the second game is going to be 
really insane. Um, we don't have the times for that exactly yet, but you know, I would assume probably like a 10 or 11 central time start for the whole stream, which means the second game is probably like four o'clock or something right. like that. Right. Um, if anything too, I don't know if we'll be able to nail down an exact start time for the second game unless we do last year, we literally put a time limit on the first rounds of games and just stopped them when time ran out. Right. So we'll probably do something similar to that this yeah. year. Anyways, please come join us for that stream. It is going to be so fun. And as you can hear, the factions are going to be insane. I mean, it's going to be a wacky, wacky game. It's going to be a goof, goofball game. It's going to be on a dumb map, too. I'll say that much. Um, we're, we're supposed to get a really, really weird uh, map made for us that's like not even the, a, a standard structure map. It will not be a, you know, the, the like hexagon shape it's gonna it's gonna be a really stupid game um so please join us for that december 23rd um but let's jump into the errata yeah all right let's do this errata because i want to go to bed um oh, yeah. welcome it's to sleepy hunter's <laughs> sleepy time just before i'm laying in bed i'm in bed right now and i have the <laughs> microphone pulled up and i'm laying my head on my pillow and I'm uh -huh. about to pass out. And right before I pass out, I read this great submission from Acquisition Red Pro. E Equiton Red. Equ oh. Acquisition. Equ Look how tired you are. <laughs> and, and we should note, this is, this is for last week's four-player episode. So talking about the four-player game. Um, go ahead. Right. So Pro. This is a, as, a, as opposed to a con. Pro. <laughs> a four-player game is a good way to teach new players the rules Shorter playtime, abundance of resources, and big slices make learning each rule slash concept easier, and the players leave feeling like they played a part, since VPs are easier to score. Hmm. Now, before Hunter gets into his opinion on this, let's give uh, the counterpoint from Ronald SF, which is, for new players, a spacious four-player map gives the idea that there is less conflict in a TI game than there usually is. I had one player I was introducing the game to come away with that impression. And I think this works two ways, because uh, I, I, I somewhat agree with Ronald SF. I agree with Equiton Red 2 that it can, it can be good for new players, but there's two problems with using a four-player game as a teaching game. The first is if they are going to, in the future, be playing six-player games, they get a lot of bad first... They, they get a lot of bad ideas... Right. bad habits from the four-player game but even more so than that what i see with new players is if you play a four-player game where it's like super casual and just like oh yeah we're just expanding and grabbing stuff for a lot of people that is not invigorating a, a lot of people come into ti very like with a lot of trepidations and a lot of concerns and they've heard it's the super super long game and if you fill that long game with not a lot of action happening right it can it can turn them sour on the whole idea of the game i would rather I personally would rather have a six-player game where they were probably too aggressive early and and threw their game out the window and didn't have a chance at winning, but they had a good time because they clashed their fleets up against other people's. I would rather them come away with those first impressions than a, I got second place. I don't, don't feel like I did anything all game. I don't feel like I made any conscious decisions all game. It feels like everything was handed to me. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Matt said. Um, I, I think Aquaton Red makes... Like the point that you're making is valid that that they will learn the rules that way, but I don't think they'll learn to love the game that way. Or yeah. will they learn to like 
I don't know. They, like they'll, they'll learn the rules in like kind of a cold, dead way, but they won't learn. They won't really learn how to like apply any of that in a meaningful way. It will just be like it. Just the equivalent. Of, it's like if you have three people that are not willing to read the rule book or watch the video or listen to this show at all. Like not, they're not willing to listen to the learn to learn or anything like that. Then maybe a four player game would be a good overview. Yeah. But I also feel like they just wouldn't come away with a good idea of what the game is about or what right. makes it special. Yeah. TI yeah. is one of these games where like you have, you kind of have to do your homework to play it. You really do. If yeah. You, if just, you wanna, just like, jump in, just jump into the, the yeah. water's fine. Jump on in. Right. Hey, we're all here in the deep <laughs> end. Okay. We're all here swimming around. It's okay. We're good. Just jump in. Come on in. Just jump on in. Water's oh. fine. Come on in. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Phytothoran. Phytophthorin. I whew, that's a long one. Um, I would like to re- reiterate that map alterations really help a four-player game. I have played a few due to player number problems, but using an altered map really helps with early rounds of a four-player game. The skinny map is my favorite. Uh, we we tried to say this as a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode, but yeah, we we did not talk at all about the things you can change about a four-player game that make it a much better experience. And I'm a huge proponent of those things, and I probably should have talked about them, but I think. We want. I want to do a, an episode in the future that really dives into more of this stuff of like what can you do with the four player game to shake things up and make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is definitely one of the things that the skinny map is basically taking in a, in a four player game. You know, the planets are positioned in such a way where there's two edges with like a straight line of four systems on either side. If you just eliminate those system tiles, you have a much more competitive map with way less resources available and a lot of the problems of four players goes away. Now this doesn't get rid of the dual strategy card problem. Um, and I saw one person recommend why, why not just have everybody only draw one strategy card. That's also terrifying to me. I mean, only having four strategy cards. Too, mu- too much gets left out. I feel like yeah, it's a, it's a lot left out. You, you're, you're, you're actually doing significantly less than you should be it's almost the opposite problem at that point is like now i now i can't do anything i can't afford to do anything i do i do feel like we are being a little bit arbitrary though because i i don't know like i mean i've never tried it like i don't know it it might be fun the only time i've tried it and it wasn't really trying it is when we played a five player game and one player got eliminated and we were forced to play four strategy cards the whole game and that game felt very like oh my gosh i am so starved for everything i mean it, it made like leadership has to become like a top pick because if you like it's so easy for it to not get picked like right. it, something's going to get left out if there's only four things getting picked some vital strategy card is going to get left out and that's i mean that's interesting and that's crazy but boy is it also hard it might be uh, fun it might be fun to try that could be fun um, um but yeah there, there's other ideas of what you can do for four player games and we will i think we'll talk about that more in the future um, but you, you can always use two warp zones so warp zone is what people do for five player games um you can always just use two of those yeah. Um, so I don't know. Uh, Stronkowski has a point. Um, I am surprised the prevalence of PDS due to construction every round wasn't mentioned with all the talk about um, all of the strategy cards being out. Um, yeah. No, I think there's. I think there's something. There's just too much of everything. I, yeah. I feel like we. Yeah, we didn't make a specific point to say PDS, but uh, yeah, it it's obnoxious. I mean, it's it's it's. Not only does everyone have their stuff that they need, but more people have PDS than normal, which means everything is more defensible, which means it's it's even harder to get into other people's stuff. Right, but then so also like, people have bigger fleets than we have than they would have normal too because sure, they have more yeah. resources. 
Right. I don't know. It's just it, it, it definitely changes the whole idea of like what does conflict mean? Everybody uh, just has more stuff of, of all the yeah. things. Everybody has more yeah. PDS, but also everybody has more fleets. I don't know which there, way it all There were goes. some reactions to Strongkowski. I think some people said they, they didn't feel... Uh, like, because there's so many secondaries to do, you see less people doing the secondary of construction, which well, yeah. I agree with. Also, also, the way construction is set up, if people are doing it right, it's really inconvenient for people to do the secondary. So, like, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's getting taken every time. If everybody's doing it as their first action of their of their turn, so then... only one person got it, yeah. Yeah, or, like, or, you know, maybe two... I guess no. Right. Honestly, I just I see more space docks in a four player game. Yeah, that's that's the difference. Is you're you're just get everyone's getting space docks out on the board faster and building on the fronts and and you need them more too. Anyways, I mean it, it, it's a self balancing thing, right? You're further away from everybody, so you need a forward dock even more. So I I think all in all, it actually does kind of just balance itself out. It's not like that big of a deal to have more PDS because, like you said, more ships, more forward space docks, more resources, more everything. Kinda, yeah. Uh, the Nine of Spades says, did Hunter voice Alpha 5 uh, in the original Power Rangers movie uh, show from the 90s? Hunter, do you want to you comment on uh, your Alpha 5? This is, this is in response to your lovely voice for last week's Play of the Week. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, so I guess it sounded a little bit like Alpha 5. Well, I will let you know that I was but a five-year-old myself <laughs> when the show came out. And so what I'm saying is, yes, I was Alpha 5. I was a child star. <laughs> uh, if it's not obvious to my general attitude and like no actually i do want to say i think my personality could be described as failed child star i think <laughs> that actually might be my disposition uh, i love that someone pointed this out because hunter you have you have a kind of odd amount of experience with power rangers i love power rangers <laughs> so so when I was a kid, so what, what happened was when I was a kid, everybody <laughs> what happened was everybody loved Power there Rangers. Was a meteor and uh. everybody liked Power Rangers when they were a kid. But then, like most kids, like grew out of it. And They're I just like, like nine or ten. Maybe. Well, because okay, so here's what happened. Like so, there's <laughs> so you've got you know Mighty Morphin season one is basically just like Saved by the Bell with like you know Queen you know Rita and like putty people and stuff, and it's stupid. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then season two is kind of whatever. But then season three, all of a sudden there's like continuity and like things start wow. like it was the first TV show I watched that had like like an ongoing plot that I could see was changing. And then you uh-huh. hit Zeo and stuff really <laughs> then, starts oh, yeah. like getting very intensely. There's just there just <laughs> is a through line. And that goes, you know, you've got Zeo and then you've got Turbo after that where they're driving cars. And that was the really dumb one. Welcome but, to Space Zordon Peace Rangers. I'm not uh, even done, though, because then they go <laughs> then, then they go into space after that. So what I'm saying is that, like, everybody left Power Rangers at, like, season three. They jumped off at the good part. I stayed uh-huh. on for one, two, three more shows than everybody else, basically. <laughs> and loved Man. it. I thought it was great. I can't wait to see how many people uh, I, identify with this <laughs> yeah no let, let me know those of you that have a uh, vast knowledge of the where my range heads at right. hey, where, where are my rangers <laughs> yeah 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 let, let me know let's talk uh let's talk extended universe uh power rangers <laughs> oh stuff and maybe let's start a fan fiction thing okay what about a fan fiction channel for power rangers a, tommy know, tommy a, x kimberly like some slash fiction if, so, so you said Power Rangers went into space. If there was a TI faction that was from the Power Rangers universe, oh, that's a good, that's good. Um, hmm, 
Well, you know, Goldar is not a cat, but he's very gold. And, mm. but he's not really like a Hakan. You know, honestly, all of the space people are just so goofy. And <laughs> there's a, there's, in the Zio show, um, all of the bad guys are robots and okay. they are somewhat necrovirus like. But it would be like if the necrovirus, all of the people in the necrovirus were more like C3PO than like. <laughs> so they're not like scary. They're all just kind of goofy and they've got uh-huh. like gold plated head stuff and they do like weird dance moves. <laughs> Power Rangers is great. I I have to get out of this headspace. It's yeah, doing, yeah, it's yeah. Doing things what, to myself. Yeah, because you because uh, you like it. You're excited. Oh no, I'm gonna go watch Power Rangers right after this. <laughs> uh, hey, you can follow us on Twitter at SpaceCatsPod uh, for updates and game announcements, uh, and on Facebook for announcements as well. You can ask me questions. Space Cats Peace Turtles on Facebook. Uh, on the Twilight Imperium subreddit, you can find our posts, discussions about our episodes, as well as lots of other discussions that happen. Uh, it's a it's a fun place to hang out. You can also hang out in our Board Game Geek Guild. It should be noted to people who just listen to the show and aren't like familiar with Board Game Geek. We we kind of make fun of our Board Game Geek Guild a lot, and we used to talk down on Board Game Geek in general. But like, there is a huge forum on Board Game Geek that like people ask lots of rules questions. There's right. lots of good strategy talk. Like, it is a good resource. So if 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 you've never used board game geek because we told you not to or something that's probably a bad call oh yeah no don't don't do that you should go join the the bgg community uh but we we do our own discussion on our guild and we have a calendar there that when the tournament is going on we'll start updating it with games uh we have a patreon that you can join and contribute to the show and you'll get lots of benefits like this episode was voted on by our galactic council so viewers of the show chose the topic for this episode and that's why we're doing it uh for the holiday stream you can have an impact on the different elements that are included in the stream if you join the steve martin fan club if you're a member of the good yin brotherhood we will play games with you uh you know one we, we try to play them pretty often we, we had a really good november where we played like three or four good yin brotherhood right games. right yeah uh, and if you are a space kitty you get to produce an episode. You get to come up with the topic by yourself. It's like an advanced galactic council where you're the entire council and we will either record the episode with you or we'll just do whatever topic you want us to do. Uh, you can also join our Discord. That's how you get a lot of these Patreon benefits. We're a little bit better at responding on Discord than we are on Patreon. Uh, and there's also just lots of fun conversations going on on our Discord. If you rate us, we would appreciate it on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It increases visibility and makes people know about what Twilight Imperium is. Yeah. Hey, I'm Hunter, and uh, I'm a stand-up comedian in Portland, Oregon. I got some shows I want to throw at you real quick. Um, every Thursday, uh, actually, that's, okay, so like next Thursday, and then none of the Thursdays after that, you can see yeah, it's me. It's a weird month. Yeah, it's a weird month, because I'm going to be in Arkansas for half of it. Um, but most Thursdays, like normal style, you can see me co-host um, a show called Earthquake Hurricane that starts at 8 p.m. at Ford Food and Drink in Portland. Um, I'm going to be guest co-hosting uh, a show, a podcast called What's More Metal, which is about taking things and describing how metal they are. And I don't mean like the, you know, like met. I mean like music. Um, yeah, but you could do the other angle. Right? I think I, I mean, probably will. I think I'm probably going to describe the metals involved in whatever we uh-huh. talk about because I'm Got not it. a very metal person. Um <laughs> That's going to be December 12th, uh, 10 p.m. at Funhouse 
Lounge. Um, and that will eventually be on the internet, and I will let you know. Um, the big show that I want to tell you about, uh, in Portland anyways, is on December 15th. Uh, we are doing a Christmas party Hanukkah show, um, which is going to be at my friend Adam's house. It's actually a ticketed event. It starts at 8 p.m. The tickets are $10. Um, fans of the show that are Portland listeners, uh, some of them have even been to the to this show in the past when it was in a backyard. Now it's going to be inside, and we're going to have a Christmas tree, and we're going to do a lot of really crazy stuff. There are not very many tickets available. I think there's like five left. So if anybody's interested, go ahead and if, if you want, like it would, you should just go ahead and buy them now. Um, because they will definitely be gone by the time we get to the show day. Um, the day after that, I will be uh, on December 16th. I will be at the Alliance at Alberta Street Pub. That that show starts at 9 o'clock. And then I will be in Arkansas. And on Yay! December December 22nd, I'm going to be doing, uh, I'm going to be headlining a, um, I guess it's like a cider place. It's called Black Apple Crossing and it's yeah. in Springdale, Arkansas. I don't even know when it starts at this, t- at this point, but I know I'm doing that. I'm going to have to do like 45 minutes of comedy, which is an intimidating feat. Wow. So, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, here's a question. Um, next week's episode, uh, should we should we delay the episode a little bit so that so that we can record together in person or are we going to record this one beforehand because we might want to get that announcement out right now if i i think i think i'm going to go ahead and put the warning out that next week's episode may be a day or two late yeah it may it, not but it may be a day or two late because we might wait for hunter to get into town and then we'll record together rather than he's got all these shows that weekend it might be kind of a messy week so it might be a wednesday or thursday release next week i like that because i think it just is i think it's always more fun when we are in the same place it's yeah. great and honestly there might be more people involved but the rest of this month may be episodes with more people because all of our buddies are going to be in town and we're going to want to talk to them and hang out with them yeah so they, that... they might just get included on episodes because they're around which is usually what happens if they're around suddenly they're in an episode right right uh, I want to thank some patrons. I want to thank our space kitties, Jim Bob, Jimbo V, whatever we whatever we've settled on. Uh, Dustin Doom, Nathan Swenson, and Yin for life. I also want to thank uh, patrons Monty, Wagnius, and Chris Woody. All right, we got play of the week. This one is from Jamie Huffman. Uh, this is a four-player game. So we had a four-player game going with Necrovirus, Arborek, Federation of Soul, and me as the L1. We were each at seven points, but I was running out of objectives to score while Sol had a platoon of space marines stationed on Mechatol Rex. Well, who'd have thunk? Um, <laughs> I had a guaranteed third secret objective, two racial techs, in my pocket, but really needed a good stage two public to put me over the top. At the end of round five, we drew Conquer the Weak, Control a Planet, and another player's home system. Coincidentally, Sol and I each had a large fleet in striking distance of each other's homes. I struck first, blowing away the defending ships with my fleet of super dreadnoughts kitted out with duranium armor. After the defending space marines fell beneath the continuous planetary bombardments, oh, that's great that that actually worked out that way, um, I assimilated their space dock and reinforced with additional soldiers. In retaliation, Sol attacked um, 000, or Null, um, the L1 home system, defeating uh, his defending fleet, and while my soldiers defended valiantly. At the end of the round, a single soul marine claimed my home planet. 
Obviously, I could not let this unprovoked aggression stand, and I counterattacked with everything I had nearby and threw it at the invading soul fleet. However, the dice gods did not favor me, and three fighter twos were left standing while my fleet bit the dust. Then Sol did his own counterattack. His fleet took the system, but my soldiers held the planet. At the end of the round, we both stared at each other with our exchanged home planets, both having accomplished the objective but unable to score it. Now that's the kind of gift of the Magi <laughs> kind of deal right there. You know, I got you, I got you my home system. Yep. Oh no, that's what I got you. <laughs> and now no one can score it. And now no one gets it. And what have we learned? <laughs> what have we learned? Don't play we've, four player games. We've, we've learned don't play four player games because the other two players probably had a great advantage. Actually, I have it on good authority that the soul ended up winning that game anyways. But don't eh, don't worry about that. Oh, uh, how dare you tell me that? I don't I even want to hear I that. Know. That's that makes boo. Breaks your heart. Breaks boo. your heart. Bansol. All right. Hash, hashtag Bansol. Hunter. What? I'll see you, I'll see you in a week. Alright, I'll see you face to face, you dingus. You d- <laughs> I'm gonna have cookies and you better pick me up from Kansas City or I'll be mad. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. I'm going to be so mad if you leave me in the Kansas City airport. I hate that place. (laughs) I don't have good luck in Kansas City, dude. Like, I have bad luck there. We have terrible luck. We have Kansas terrible City. luck in Kansas City. Yeah. Remember when Shelton <laughs> fixed his car with his bare hands? <laughs> I actually wasn't there for that, but that's a, such a good oh, story. Yeah. He hulked out and fixed his belt line <laughs> on his engine <laughs> with his bare hands. There's like a special tool that you have to buy to be able to do that. And Shelton was like, no, get me out of Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> fixed. Drive home. We're done.